Into the Weird, Episode 40, Mad Mordo, Beyond Blunderdome. Welcome to Into the Weird, a podcast celebrating the madness and magnificence of the mighty Marvel Bronze Age. I'm your host, Billy D, and alongside me is my co-host, Ho-Ho Herman Lowe. How are you, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I hope you mean the ho that I'm referring to, that, that you're really referring to is the Christmas ho. <laughs> well, uh, speaking speaking of the other kind of ho, I saw oh, one what? of my... <laughs> oh wait! It, it's be it's become one of my favorite uh, new memes ever. It's Kermit the Frog, and it says they used to call it hoeing around. Now it's called living my best life. <laughs> <laughs> Kermit better watch it. Miss Piggy's gonna take him out to pasture soon. <laughs> Having frog legs for supper. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> hey, speaking about frog legs, uh, yeah. Okay, this is now another tangent, but we recently had an episode of. Uh, Long box of darkness drop where we talked frog legs. <laughs> oh, look out! <laughs> the gourmet, <laughs> gross, but gross. That's definitely not a Christmas food. But uh, something I'm looking forward to definitely this Christmas is talking some Christmas uh, comics and Christmas horror. This is not it, though, listeners. So don't expect any Christmas <laughs> comics yet. No. We're gonna save that for another episode uh, probably episode 41 this being episode 40 that we're doing right now right billy <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah this is uh, our buddy the doc we're, we're back at it definitely definitely and definitely no frog legs uh involved <laughs> in this issue i mean so <laughs> no. um sadly though <laughs> although there is a frog-like <laughs> creature that the, mm. doc, the doc briefly morphs into <laughs> that's crazy it's so wild it's sick <laughs> We posted some images on Twitter teasing what this episode's going to be about. Mm -hmm. But uh, let's get into this, Mr. B. Um, like mm -hmm. I said, we'll have some more Christmas talk at a later date. But right now, we're firmly set back in the Doctor Strange universe, or lack of a universe, if you want to look at it like that. Because after all, what happened during our last discussion when we talked issue 11 and 12? Can you fill, fill the listeners in on that final ending to issue 12 there? Yeah, basically, you know, the uh, the world exploded and the doc and you know it, it seemingly the doc was the only one you know still alive because of course he can you know exist in other realms and whatnot but yeah then we saw basically the planet earth explode into uh little itty bitty pieces and that was that 
Oh, yeah, we were left on quite a cliffhanger. That's right. And one thing you have to remember here is this is for real. The Earth actually mm -hmm. exploded and everyone's dead. The Avengers, you know, Fantastic Four, everybody. It's only the Doc that survived. Uh, Clea, mm -hmm. the Sanctum Sanctorum, all of that is no more. And because this is eternity, I believe eternity sanctioned this act. He, in fact, perpetrated it. And uh, this is the result. Mm -hmm. So the Doc's hanging there in the void. And that's where we pick it up within this issue. Now, I'm going to drop mm -hmm. a synopsis. But before I do, I have to remind the listeners, we mentioned this last time, we're only going to be talking Doctor Strange 13. Mm -hmm. Because this wraps up the Alone Against Eternity storyline. But mm -hmm. come the next Doctor Strange episode, which will be episode 42, available in the new year, we'll mm -hmm. be talking a whole new storyline. That's why we only discussed one issue this time around. Because if we did go for two, we would be leaping into the very next storyline, uh, which is so great that it deserves an episode all on its own. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, it's it's great. It's fantastic. And this is the Doc's first encounter with one of our favorite Marvel horror villains or horror characters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we're not going to uh, tease that. But I will say that uh, there is a new Doctor Strange epic collection out, which chronicles all of that. And that mm -hmm. is the Vampiric Versus epic collection. And uh, you might already know then, listeners, what that who who that teases that very name of that epic collection. <laughs> One of the <laughs> Doctor Strange's greatest foes, actually. Uh, mm -hmm. on, on, a, on par with Dormammu and Shuma Gorath and all of them. Mm -hmm. All right, here's some details about this issue. Doctor Strange, Volume 2, Issue 13. Cover by Gene Cullen and Tom Palmer. A match made in mm. heaven. Or in mm -hmm. hell, <laughs> depending on <laughs> how you look at the, the images presented. And then publisher, of course, Marvel, cover date April 1976, but on sale January 13th, 1976. That's weird. And then mm -hmm. cover price, 25 cents, page count 32, edited by Marf Wolfman, and the title of the story contained within Planet Earth is No More. And in fact, that is that line is repeated three times in various font <laughs> sizes on the very first opening splash page, right, Billy? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so dramatic by old Steve Engelhardt there. And mm -hmm. that is, of course, the writer, old Steve himself, penciled by Gene Colan, inked by Tom Palmer. Wow. Lettered by John Constanza. And of course, you can find this in the Essential Doctor Strange if you want some black and white goodness. Uh, or you can mm -hmm. do this in the Mar Marvel Masterworks, Doctor Strange Volume 6, which is the way I'm reading it. And yeah. you can also do it in the Epic Collection if you want to read it that way, which is Alone Against Eternity. Which, if I'm not mistaken, that's the second Epic Collection chronicling Doctor Strange in the Bronze Age. Mm, cool. And then, of course, we can also read this on the Marvel app, uh, which is convenient for folks these days. So, great times, though, Billy. Uh, the oh, yeah. synopsis, though, ooh, is, is shocking and surprising. So here we go. <laughs> Doctor Strange floats in the void left by Earth's destruction, lamenting the fate of everyone he loved who are now lost to him. Recovering, he determines to track down Nightmare, whom he knows had some involvement in directing Baron Mordo's insane actions. Steven uses the Eye of Agamotto to enter Nightmare's realm and an epic sorceress battle ensues with the Sorcerer Supreme emerging victorious. With Nightmare's defeat, Steven spies a gigantic silver globe that had been concealed from him. Within, 
he finds the sleeping body of Eternity himself, a captive of nightmares. Steven awakens Eternity and together they return to the corporeal universe. Appealing to the celestial being's mercy, Steven implores Eternity to restore the universe but is refused. Like a tick, Steven burrows in and keeps at it, annoying Eternity until he is about to use a cosmic fly swatter on the tiny Sorcerer Supreme when an unexpected ally intervenes. Our story ends with the universe recreated, leaving Doctor Strange as the sole survivor of the previous one. The end. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to keep the reveal of who intervened there at the end for later. But basically, mm-hmm. this is the shocking moment that most Marvel, r- other Marvel writers who are admire Engelhart and, in fact, people who write fan columns and so forth and, you know, contributing writers to magazines like Back Issue and, and Alter Ego, they always reference this moment in the Bronze Age as saying that this is one of the craziest things Engelhart has done because essentially <laughs> this impacts the entire Marvel universe, although it seems that it only impacts Doctor Strange, which is both true. <laughs> Both of those points are true. <laughs> right, Mr. B? Because what is the mm-hmm. the mind-blowing concept here, really? Yeah, basically, like you said in the beginning, you know, we said that Earth actually was, you know, obliterated, destroyed, and gets recreated basically whole cloth with all new beings, you know, the, the same beings that had been there before in look, but obviously not 100% the same because yeah, they're, they're brand they're, new. They're, yeah, exactly. They're not the original, uh, you know, loved ones and, and friends and mentors and it's even superheroes that Steven encountered. They're all mm-hmm. different. They're all, well, they're, they're essentially the same, but uh, they've been recreated by eternity. And we'll find out how and why later. Mm-hmm. But this, this contains some incredible art from <laughs> Gene Colan and Tom Palmer. I mean, the, oh, the, yeah. if you think about the origin of man, uh, Gene Colan and Tom Palmer could have, illustrated darwin's uh, the origin of the species <laughs> <laughs> if they wanted to because yeah. they they do it here or they could have could have illustrated uh carl sagan's cosmos if it was ever rendered into uh, encyclopedic <laughs> form or or something like that or even something like stephen hawkins work works about the universe uh because that's what they essentially do here they show the genesis mm-hmm. of the universe again now I believe we've encountered a story like this before Right, of mm-hmm. course, the CZ Neg saga, but there, right. the what was the difference? I mean, there's a big difference. Well, yeah, I think every everything just went back to being exactly where it was when that went in. Yeah, so not being green created, recreated whole cloth. Everything just kind of got snapped, you know, to use a <laughs> a Thanos term here, snapped back into existence exactly where they left off. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what CZ Neg realized was he was trying to become God, a God, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he moved backwards through time, absorbing magic until he would reach the point of the Big Bang or the initial creation of the universe. And then he would step in and recreate the universe in his image. But he didn't do that because he realized that he was the creator of the, the original creator of the universe all along. He was Mm -hmm. God. So there was no need for him to recreate the universe and his image. He's just playing around in a time loop, essentially. Uh, (laughs) So that's why it it all ended up being exactly what it was already. So there was no new universe being recreated. It was the same universe. 
And that's what Cezanne mm -hmm. realized. He was God moving backwards through time or a, a man from the future moving backwards for, through time, becoming the actual God. So that was controversial, of course, insanely controversial yeah. at the time. But here, there's something totally different happening. This is a new universe recreated from the destruction of the old one that Stephen now inhabits, the sole survivor of the previous universe. And he can never mm -hmm. mention this to anybody else. He can never share it with <laughs> anyone else. That's why we see at the end of the comic, he sits there brooding endlessly yeah. in his uh, sanctum. Just he cannot wrap his mind around this, or he probably can, but his heart might not be able to be wrapped around this because everybody he encounters is someone completely new, but he cannot share this, this terrible secret. Mm, he should have just fired up one of his braziers and threw some Mary Jane in there and chilled out. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that's right i thought in the marvel universe i thought you meant the literal mary jane <laughs> he chucks in there no oh, it's no. the marijuana <laughs> yeah oh that's mm. terrible man uh but but it's terrible in his in his greatness if you know what i mean mm. listener. so no but so oh, what, what a, yeah what, what about what about the cover yeah what about, what about the cover here though how about that what are your thoughts on that that is one of my favorite covers because it features it's crazy it's crazy. It's eternity itself versus Steven with mm -hmm. the what seemingly dead or unconscious body. Uh, well, it should be dead because he is dead in continuity, the ancient one drifting in the foreground. But it's the, the images are juxtaposed where eternity is at the top. The ancient one is at the bottom and they seem to be coming out of the same body. Like their, their bodies are merged, almost sort of like this hybrid type of, of effect or this like they're uh, Siamese twins or something, right? Billy Eternity <laughs> and the Ancient One. And in yeah. fact, we'll realize that that is sort of, there is something similar to being a Siamese twin later on, on in the story, right? A little bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, when I first saw this, I almost thought it was the aged Genghis on the front here because it kind of looks like him to me a little bit more than the Ancient One because like the last time we saw the Ancient One, you know, he wasn't dressed like this and had this crazy headpiece on and stuff like that. Yeah, well, we briefly saw him mentoring Stephen in uh, an earlier issue where he did wear yeah. a headpiece, but then we saw the aged Genghis last. And that's why this image would still be superimposed in your mind that it's mm -hmm. the aged Genghis. Yeah. yeah. And they have a yeah. very similar look. The they, ancient they one, do. The, the aged Genghis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't blame you for that, Mr. B. The only reason that I knew, of course, this is the ancient one is because they prominently <laughs> mentioned that on the cover. Mm hmm. Yeah. Right. So, but a fantastic cover. I like the fact that Doctor Strange seems to be thinking that a bolt of bedevilment would take out eternity. <laughs> Give it up, Steve. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes he, like, when something happens that he make has to make like a quick kind of sometimes you know rash decision, he doesn't make the best choices. That's right. He doesn't. Yeah. And it's <laughs> no, he doesn't. I mean, when in the thick of battle. He often, uh, initially he loses and then eventually he wins. But the reason he starts on the losing end is often because his foes are more powerful than him, but also because he resorts to these superhero-esque uh, combat styles at first, right? But before mm -hmm. eventually realizing, no, 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 you have to outthink this opponent. You cannot just use brute force. But right. he always resorts to brute force first to see if this this will give him the opening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's always that. Uh, it might work against your regular supervillains, like in the Defenders. But here, mm -hmm. nope, it's not going to work, Steve-O. You're just irritating him, which he mm. does, in fact, later on. But he doesn't take on Eternity uh, 
man, well, mano a mano, or uh, that won't work. He, he, in fact, smart enough, but on the cover, he's not. <laughs> no. And one thing I did notice, too, is throughout this issue, man, Gene Colan really played with uh, a ton of different panel layouts in this one. I oh, feel yeah. like a lot more than usual. Like, you know, that first page, you know, it's it's kind of, I don't want to say it's bland because that kind of has a negative connotation to it. But it's not one of Gene's best splash pages, I don't think. You know, and it's definitely not mm-hmm. up there with Brunner's either. But, man, when you flip that page and these panel layouts, they really stand out on page two and three here like it's like wow they're they're very different yeah well let's speak about that the first opening splash page like you mentioned billy doesn't look like much it's just steven drifting in this maelstrom yeah uh, which is sort of like what would happen when the titanic sinks or something there would be like this massive uh maelstrom that sucks everything under and it looks like the earth's destruction has caused this maelstrom which is (laughs) totally against science i'm sure now, unless it folded in on itself like a black hole, like a singularity that took it out somewhere. Nope. But still, it's a it's a great effect. He's uh, buffeted by these forces released by Earth's explosion. And then, of course, this could create like a gravity well, if if I'm not mistaken, because this point in space that occupied that that was the center of this gra- gravity uh, that the Earth gen- generated has suddenly disappeared. So there will definitely be some effects. I just don't think it will take the effect of wind, <laughs> which which it no. appears to be like this tornado yeah. that is caused uh, caught in. But then yeah. it goes, it sort of this cosmic cloud dissipates, and Stevens hanging in space. Now, as you say, panel the panels on page two is amazing because here it's shown as the panel. There are six panels, and it's shown as fractured glass shards. Mm-hmm. This obviously reflects another glass metaphor there, the destruction of the earth, these glass shards drifting in the void, which, which are the panels that Stephen occupies here. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he, then you see him as a smaller image in the first glass shard, becoming bigger and bigger and bigger as, his, as the realization impacts upon his consci- consciousness that everything and everyone he's known has been yeah. destroyed. And then we see his face in a close-up in the final panel as his realization sort of emerges. And that is a great effect too. Oh yeah. Because yeah, yeah it's almost like the camera's moving for a close-up shot in his face, but it's actually Steven approaching us as he's drifting through this void in these glass shards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's incredible. So mm-hmm. then believe love we it. have, yeah, continue. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love it. Then, like I said, then page three, there's three panels, you know, one is about two thirds. And then the other two are like vertical, but then they like overlap that one. Like, wow, I really like that a lot. Yeah, those are the shards sort of mm-hmm. meeting each other or coalescing. And this reflects Stephen's resolution, his resolve to do something about this, to not give up. Because later on, we'll see the ancient one as well saying that you went through Eternity's three trials in the previous issue. But now Mm -hmm. you have to go through the trials of the Sorcerer Supreme again. The first trial was technically overcoming death. Mm -hmm. And the next trial is overcoming hopelessness or or overcoming depression, really. (laughs) But it's hopelessness because he's he's lost everything he was supposed to protect. In fact, he's failed as the Sorcerer Supreme. But uh, now how do you deal with that? This is the lesson the Ancient One will impart to him later. And he will will teach himself, really, right, Billy? Because... yeah. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's not giving up. He drifts through the void and he thinks of Clea. And I think that's one of the reasons he sort of, is, his mind is firmly set on not giving up because he can't let Clea go. 
<laughs> says she was the sweetest, the kindest, <laughs> you know, the softest. <laughs> what does he say there? Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's interesting. But oh, I like yeah. the fact that he, when he realizes it, he screams, oh, gods, oh, gods. He cannot mm-hmm. believe what happened. And then he's the, freaking out. Yeah. The very first splash page, of course, that we mentioned with this, the title of the issue repeated three times, planet earth is no more. And then in larger font, planet earth is no more. And then finally it culminates in the title of the issue, which is huge. Uh, so, yeah. So Billy, what does he decide? I mean, he, Steven's great for thinking his way out of tight spots and mm-hmm. what does, what does his thoughts, um, hook on what is the 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 main drive that that kind of it's going to uh, almost like cosmic detective that he's playing here yeah i mean you figure he's still alive and he still has all of his knowledge and uh all of his uh gadgets here too and he has the eye of agamotto and he's like curse me for a novice there must be something something i can use and he goes yes there is nightmare he appeared momentarily in morto's Mm. dream and I never understood why. So then he's kind of thinking this has something to do with him. So he, you know, says to the eye, you know, take me to the realm of dreams. And that's another really great page too. It shows the doc on the bottom and kind of like diving into this, not a black hole, but a green hole. <laughs> almost it looks like and <clears throat> diving into it. And then that next page on the top, the dimension of dreams. And it's kind of crazy looking these craggy, like, Almost looks like he's, you know, somewhere underground, you know, on a moon underground somewhere. Yeah, well, those that's the nightmare realms we've seen from Ditko, from Strange Tales, and we've seen that before. And, of course, this issue carries a similar plot. This is basically Nightmare making good on one of his desires or a prediction almost, but he desired this, and it Mm -hmm. involves Eternity and Nightmare being one of the few beings who, in fact, can influence a being like Eternity because even Eternity dreams and Mm -hmm. even Eternity has Nightmare. So we'll see that playing into the story later. But actually, Mm -hmm. that's the biggest part of the story, if you think about it this way. But yeah, Nightmare, he needed some way to... Well, okay, I I shouldn't spoil. I was just about to drop a major major spoiler. Let's talk about the, the actual events first. Okay, so he's Stevens in the dimension of dreams, right, Billy? And we see this Ditko-esque effect, but definitely colonified. <laughs> They've been oh, yeah. reinterpreted by Colin. My in, in, favorite part of dialogue from the entire issue. Dead things they are. Fantastic. Galactic garbage. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Galactic garbage. <laughs> That's what he That's calls so the detritus floating around in Nightmare's realm. He says mm-hmm. that um, they, they remain galactic garbage until called forth to live in some slumbering mortal's midnight fancies. <laughs> That's so, great. <laughs> yeah. So this is basically probably generated from previous dreamers' minds, but it's the mm-hmm. good ones or, or the garbage or whatever is kept by nightmare in his nightmare realm. And then when new mortals enter his realm during their slumber, it's mm-hmm. used as some of the backstage props or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's awesome. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. we see this, this fanged mouth, which did, did co-created this floating. Yeah. The, well, this corporated mouth, which is just basically lips but it's hor- horrific looking with these fangs. It's kind of like a snake's mouth without the body. Yeah. Yeah. Like the jaw of a snake. Yeah. But you can see right through it. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's just the jaws and the snake fangs approaching Steven on this walkway. And then Steven destroys it with a bolt of bedevilment. 
and that's just nightmare testing him testing to see mm -hmm. if he still has his magical powers and mm -hmm. then since nightmare yeah. now thinks okay he's gonna kill steven because after all this is his realm and we've seen nightmare lure steven into his realm before and then nightmare is superior but yeah. this time around he's not believed dr strange in fact schools him in a few panels Mm -hmm. but, but first we'll talk about the battle and we'll learn why Dr. Strange can take Nightmare out even on his own turf. Nightmare says, I Strange, you could not hope to elude me long. Now that I've learned of your strengths, you learn of mine. And Nightmare mm. casts this destructive spell, which Steven rather nonchalantly blocks. And then Nightmare just commences to lose destructive spell after spell this this one manifests as the screaming roar of demons demonic birds yeah it's awesome that sort of yeah it's great this this flock of birds appear in this giant cloud and envelop mm -hmm. steven and what happens then billy oh it looks like they're killing him like yeah. you, know, you think he's in, in really bad shape and then he says the dark forces gather then die with the dawn by the light deep within me be gone and he just oh. whoosh, and they just disperse like nothing nice yeah the normal spells of uh, that that steven sports are powerful enough but they're even fueled to further might by his power of rhyme <laughs> <laughs> he's been hanging out with uh, luke cage i guess yeah oh <laughs> definitely do some you can put some jive talk in there too why not yeah. steven go for it i mean he's hanging out mm -hmm. in new york all the time greenwich village yeah. you know not not that there would mm -hmm. be a lot of luke cage hanging out there but there will definitely be some hippies <laughs> as yeah. we've seen in the past <laughs> junkies mm -hmm. they all sport some manner of jive and I love mm -hmm. the fact that here he just nightmares most powerful spells. He just shrugs off, disperses it. Yeah. yeah. So he's a poet, a sorcerer, and when you combine those two, definitely a superior to nightmare. But the reason for that is actually not a facetious reason, like I just gave. It's because he's the sorcerer supreme now. The last time mm -hmm. he encountered nightmare, he was just a novice in the magic arts, actually. Yeah. But this time around, he's he's got the ancient one's power. He's got his own, you know, experience and knowledge, and he's using mm -hmm. that to just. I mean, there's a spell he he gives which isn't even verbal. It's just uh, an utterance, which well, it is kind of a, a spell, right? He says nothing. Well, it's this part of his dialogue. Nothing can stop me now. I'm completely committed, and then he <laughs> just uses the spell to take out Nightmare in this massive explosion or blast, and Nightmare is yeah huddling at Steven's knee there at the end of that mm -hmm. completely yeah. defeated. But that's what now we get into the story. Now the story is moving along at a breakneck pace because after a nightmare's yeah. defeat, what is revealed? Yeah. Steven turns and looks in the other direction. He says that silvery sphere filling half the horizon. It must have been here all the while, but remained hidden from my sight till its master fell. And it, it almost looks like a moon. And then the next page you see it's like starting to open up like a giant eye and Steven's opening it up there and Nightmare starts freaking out. Nay, nay, leave what's mine to me, accursed mortal. Yeah, oh, that's cool. He suddenly um, descends to this uh, ancient speak that he used to use, but sometimes he's, he's, he uses modern slang too, right, Billy, when he's in the mood. Mm -hmm. But here he descends into his, his ancient ways when he's Morpheus or... But uh, one thing I forgot to mention, I believe, is as Stephen is not in his physical form here, he when he employed the Eye of Agamotto to leave the corporeal world and enter the dimension of dreams, he left in his astral form. 
So his his mm -hmm. true body is drifting somewhere in space. And mm -hmm. now he's in his astral form. So the reason I want to mention is this bottom panel, panel here where he sees the sphere for the first time. He's walking on one of these nightmarish walkways that Ditko used to draw so well, but Conan draws more horrifically because mm -hmm. they look like dripping umbilical cords. And he's stepping off of it into the void to approach the sphere. And the, the reason for this is the whole time we see Stephen has been in a ghostly form. He's been in his astral form. Yeah. And he's stepping through these vapors and these clouds of nightmare towards the sphere. And then the sphere is glowing with this inner light. It's just the illustration is magnificent by Colin there. It is. Yeah, it really is. Like you said, Colin and then Palmer, you know, they're on full display here. It's just, yeah, some of the panels and entire pages. Oh, incredible yeah, stuff. That's right. And this is one of the panels I considered as a background image for our Twitter account for Into the Weird, Billy, way back when. Oh, cool. I just, I, I because it's sort of uh, horizontal and uh, I, I thought it would make a break, great background image, but I tried it out and then eventually I opted for the, the Morbius one, which I so love. But still, it, it's a great panel. I've always loved this mm. panel. It's not one of my favorites, but it just, for, for the effect it would have, you know, as a background image, I, I kind of love it as a header or what what they call it. And then the next panel, like you say, he uses a spell to just easily open nightmares, a sphere-like safety deposit box, if you could call it that, because <laughs> what what is revealed inside, one of nightmares greatest treasures, which he tried to, to attain before, but failed mm -hmm. because of Dr. Strange intervention. That was way back in Dr. Strange volume one, right, Billy? They, they in fact have a note here, uh, 180 yeah. to 182. Who lies mm -hmm. within? Uh, he's captured eternity. And it's a great image, too, because eternity is just like black, like mm. almost like, you know, like a dead husk laying there. Just like you would think he's dead. And the doc, eternity by all the gods, eternity. And he yeah. says, uh, what's the matter with him? Nightmare. Why is he so dark? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Well, this is the, he's succeeded this time, right? But he's always attempted mm -hmm. to. Well, he once in the past, he attempted to uh, kidnap eternity. Now, why can he do this? Because even though he could not physically do this to eternity, he could do this to eternity's mind in dreams, mm -hmm. in nightmares. Once you yeah. have eternity in the realm of dreams at your mercy, basically you could influence reality as you see fit. And that is, in fact, what Nightmare has done. And that mm -hmm. has indirectly led to the destruction of of the earth and we'll see um, more about that later as we go through these panels but basically dr strange realized that eternity this time around he's sleeping that's why the stars are dimmed in his body but this is not the actual physical form of eternity which is the universe itself this is just his mind right believe do you do you agree with mm -hmm. that is his yeah, version of yeah. eternity's astral form right yeah. that's why it's mm -hmm. dark because he's slumbering normally eternity never slumbers that's why there's always stars, brightened sky, and universes are revolving around each other, and uh, suns are being born. But here, eternity is completely, he's, he's unconscious, he's comatose. And then Strange awakens him with the eye, uh, with the eye of Agamotto. And this is a sequence of fantastic panels, Billy. It's four panels next to each other showing eternity waking up, and the suns mm -hmm. and the, the lights just being switched on and the planets coming into being in his body. This is a fantastic image. Yeah. The only thing I 
don't care for is in the third panel where it shows he has pupils. I don't like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is weird. It's almost like his pupils disappear after a while, like he was briefly mortal. Yeah, it almost then, looks like a scared, just like a scared dude because yeah, of the pupils. But then yeah, the next yeah. one, it looks more like Eternity where they're just stark white. That that's right, that's right. But that 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 is maybe a mistake on their part. But what I do Could like, yeah. well, what I do like about that, Billy, is that once he opens his eyes, the eyes are shining like stars, and then mm-hmm. the stars become part of his body, and he holds his head, his hand to his forehead, like he's he's waking up after a night of binge drinking or something (laughs) (laughs) a night on a town yeah (laughs) that sounds like a story begging to be written eternity's night on the town or something a night out with steve engelhart and jim starlin getting high Mm. watching chop socky movies all night long in a (laughs) in new york (laughs) cinema movie theaters that's what they used to do right Mm -hmm. oh yeah and then going back to their apartments and smoking it up why not? And then mm-hmm. this this looks like eternity recovering from a night out like that. And then he is grateful to Doctor Strange. And it seems that once this happens, Billy, they immediately mm-hmm. return. So once eternity awakens, they return to the real universe, to the physical universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Stephen Strange is pulled out of the dream realm then, but he's still in his astral form. And mm-hmm. then... Eventually, he will reunite with his body, but but right now he's subjected to eternity, explaining to Stephen uh, what happened mm-hmm. and um, how his very being impacts creation. Because we never actually touched upon this in the Marvel universe, eternity, being the universe itself, obviously creates. And now, does he do that consciously, or is that sort of a pro- product of his? his organic form, which is just generating these new life forms, you know, or, or mm-hmm. uh, like new cells being born, right? But we don't know, but it seems right. that sometimes it's a conscious process on his F on his uh, part, which is now mm-hmm. he explains to Stephen, he's the one who generated life, but it's not just life on the earth. It's life in the entire cosmos from these yeah, single bas- celled creatures. Yeah. He basically, you know, he, he says he's not, you know, air quotes, God, but he basically assumed that role, you know, with the creation of life. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, technically, yeah. his father would be CZ Neg. <laughs> if you think about <laughs> well, it, right, Billy? Because <laughs> yeah. he does reference a God and because he says, you know, something about like, you know, that's who rules all realities or whatever. But then he goes on to say, and then you see with the great work by Colin and Palmer here, it's like, he says about over eons, I advanced, you know, well, he says their first was only algae in their great mother seas, simple souls. And he goes, but over eons, I advanced them from one cell to two, to many, to plants, to creatures, to fish, to mammals, to primates, to man. And you mm, see like the progression mm, of him, mm, what he's saying there. It's a really good illustration. Mm, mm. So, so believe this turns the whole biblical notion of the garden of Eden. <laughs> it doesn't overturn it, but it, but it flips it a little because he calls himself yeah. Adam Quadmon. So if, if Cezineg is God and the first creature he created was Adam, not the first creature, but let's say for instance, the first sentient creature on, on his mm-hmm. consciousness level was Adam. This was eternity. Eternity was the yeah. first but it wasn't a man. It was the first con- uh, intelligent being. And then mm-hmm. eventually he created more because he had that 
that uh, spark of God of seizing egg, which allowed him to create mm -hmm. in turn. So he is Adam and the Garden mm -hmm. of Eden is the void and he can mm -hmm. populate the void as he sees fit. Yeah. Uh, since this, the God of the Marvel Universe, seizing egg didn't really care after the initial creation. He sort of stepped back and just disappeared. Right. In fact, he. Yeah. Yeah. And I will be 100% uh, transparent here. I had never heard that uh, name before. Quite never. Long. Yeah, never heard that before. No, I had to, I had to look it up and, you know, it said about being like a, a Jewish thing. And I was like, I never heard that before. Yeah, never think, heard of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, me neither. I mean, since we're not tip typically of the Jewish faith, we might not know of this type yeah. of, uh, you know, uh, the, reference. The yeah. reference. But um of course, Adam, that, that's that's fairly on the nose there. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's good on you that you researched that name, Billy. I didn't even take the time to do that, which I should have done. But yeah, I, I just guessed it was, you know, a name associated with Adam of old. Mm -hmm. um, so it must have a meaning deeper than that. But um, I love the fact that he says that he's the archetypal man. That's why that explains his humanoid form, <laughs> if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Sort yeah. of, because uh, Caesar Neg, after all, was human. And according to the Bible, you know, uh, everything was created. Well, not everything, but the intelligent ultimate form of creation was in God's image. This would explain why he looks like Caesar Neg, sort of. Humanoid. <laughs> Humanoid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Caesar Neg himself started out as a man in the far mm -hmm. future. So it's, it's mm -hmm. mind boggling how this happened. That, that it, uh, time is not linear. Again, we get back to this con the mm -hmm. science fiction concept, or this in fact yeah. this this scientific concept, uh, mm -hmm. which is a, an actual scientific theory out there, which mm -hmm. is that time is not linear. Of course, it's it's more circular. So this this yeah. explains uh, see the next birth in the far future, and then him birthing the universe. Um, in, in a weird way, of course, <laughs> nothing really makes sense. It's all comic book logic, but uh, they throw some <laughs> some science, some religion, some. Well, I love this, there. though, too. Yeah. Englehart really goes to town here with the uh, dialogue too. eternity says I, after he says he's to mammals, to primates, to man, he says all this did I do to advance myself. But as the distance <laughs> between their level and mine lessened and their numbers increased, their effect on me grew more pronounced. He says, I permitted them recently to turn their interests to mind exploration and so open too many doorways to other dimensions. <laughs> Yeah, so basically, Mr. B, eternity is referring to the fact that, you know, he essentially created all sentient life and all life as we know it as Adam mm -hmm. and the literal Adam, <laughs> if there was <laughs> something like that in the Marvel <laughs> Universe, it certainly is. And then he is also the progenitor of consciousness. And because of consciousness, consciousness sentient beings dream and though their dreams enter another dimension and that dimension is the dimension of nightmare and that fuels nightmares power and so nightmare wants more power and he thinks he could gain that by taking control of eternity since even eternity must dream after all he's a conscious being as well mm -hmm. so that that's his scheme all along and that also explains why he tried to kidnap eternity way back when in dr strange volume one so mm -hmm. Now, this uh, we've spoken about briefly about these fantastic splash pages, right? And uh, mm -hmm. we've already seen Eternity calling himself Adam, and then he creates man, 
well, essentially goes through the process of evolution, <laughs> you know, so eternity <laughs> is, he firmly believes in evolution. And then of course, Stephen is imploring him here to now that he's saved eternity, eternity owes him a favor. He must reset what happened. He must essentially uh, go back in time, which isn't an eternity's power. He could do that if he wants, but eternity refuses because he says that would fray the, the fragile fabric of the universe, which is his very being, his veins even more. So he can't go back in time, thereby breaking mm -hmm. the natural rhythm of the universe, of himself, the natural rhythms of his existence. So Stephen mm -hmm. keeps bugging him. And what happens next, Billy? <laughs> Stephen just won't yeah. let it go. Yeah, he won't. He, he, Stephen says, Shades of the Seraphim, I saved you. Is there no recompense for that salvation? And he says, do not speak thus to me, doctor. I am above such petty emotions as gratitude. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he says, he says he's annoy. He says, annoy me at your own extreme peril. And then he changes him into this creature that's insane. Yeah, he basically just shows off his power here and uh, serves mm -hmm. as a warning to Stephen. He changes Stephen into this toad-like Jim Henson-looking <laughs> horror muppet, which mm -hmm. which also looks like it's female because it's got this wild red mane and mm -hmm. this massive schnoz <laughs> pockmarked. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. looks like it looks like some kind of a dark crystal. Uh, yes. ripoff or something mm -hmm. and of course this was way before the dark crystal so jim henson probably ripped off this comic <laughs> now we're it's, kidding it's like a fraggle rock reject or something oh yeah yeah, yeah that's a pretty <laughs> a better one at least the face definitely and yeah. then in the blink of an eye he's turned back into steven once the spell wears off because after all this is just a warning eternity still probably has a little iota of gratitude that he directs Stephen's way for saving him. But Stephen just won't let it go. He keeps like a gnat, like a like a little mosquito just buzzing around eternity. He keeps asking him, mm -hmm. come on, reconsider, do it, because he won't give up. <laughs> and then yeah. what does eternity say, Billy? Now he's incensed. He says, I warned you, doctor. Now you will find I am not above wrath. And he's just about to slap Stephen down. And then you see this panel where it's like, you know, his hands going up in the air like he is. He's, like, he's going to slap him, like swat him like a fly. And then all of a sudden we see somebody's like uh, face and shoulder here starting to come into the picture. And then all of a sudden, but then intervention and our buddy, the ancient one is back. <laughs> that's right. The ancient one. I mean, that's the mm. surprise guest appearance in this issue. The ancient, I mean, we yeah. saw him in the previous issue as a part of. Uh, well, essentially, he calls himself a part of the universe. That's why he can enter reality whenever he seems to seem, whenever he deems it necessary, because he's a part of eternity now. And he just appears out of the very fabric of the universe and grabs eternity and then engages him in a cosmic wrestling match <laughs> for the <laughs> life of his, his apprentice here. Yeah. You shall not harm my disciple. <laughs> and he puts him in a eternity in a headlock. And then it That's looks like right. he's doing some kind of judo throw on him or something. <laughs> he pins him backwards, yeah, over his yeah. knee, what appears to be like. And he wins the battle in no time mm -hmm. flat. Eternity has been schooled by the Ancient One's judo skills. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen just, just hanging there in the ether, flabbergasted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, he says, yeah, the caption box says, Eternity turns away. And then uh, the Ancient One says, he will consider. 
Right, yes, my so. son. I did indeed enter eternity's dream. <laughs> so he's basically, <laughs> you know, thinking about, you know, now the possibility of making things right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So he can't do it, though, because his ultimate verdict, even though he's just been beaten by the ancient one and probably fears a second beating round two coming up eternity, <laughs> watch it. He still has to say it's impossible. He can't. It's possible. But if he does that, he threatens the entire universe that might collapse yeah. because of this. It would basically be a blasphemy or it would be unnatural. It would be as, you know, uh, tearing apart the natural uh, as essence of the universe. So he decides rather yeah. than risk that he's going to offer a plan B. Mm. Second option. He doesn't even first uh, uh, put it on the table for consideration, right, Billy? He immediately no. starts to, as he speaks about it, it happens. Mm -hmm. he, and then there's this incredible splash page of eternity, wow. essentially through his very thoughts and which he verbalizes, kind of like mm -hmm. a let there be light moment. He recreates yeah. the planet Earth. But this is not the old Earth that Stephen comes from. That earth has been destroyed along with all life on it. This is essentially a brand new earth, but eternity has used his vast power to mm -hmm. recreate everyone that Stephen ever knew on this earth anew. And yet they're not the same as the people that Stephen knew before. But, mm -hmm. but life happens exactly as it happens before. The dinosaurs, yeah. Cro-Magnon man, the Knights <laughs> Templar, the Vikings, the crucifixion even before that. And then the Civil War and World War II, it mm -hmm. all happens just like an eternity even says, uh, I recreate the planet Earth now, starting from the mo moment of its first evolvement from the sun, moving to algae, lizards, man, civilization, moving through eons of life at the speed of thought. So he's, it happens so fast, but for the people on this new Earth, it seems to be uh, at the, the correct span of time that this occurred. Mm -hmm. But for eternity, yeah. this was a mere blink. And mm -hmm. everyone has been basically recast exactly as they were before, except yeah. Billy, we know that this mm -hmm. is not the case. Because what does Stephen, in fact, realize at the very end there? Yeah, he's funny. He says, uh, well, then we get the ancient one, too, saying, you know, hey, I oh, am yeah. one with the universe. That's a really cool part, too. And, you know, we see Clea there being recreated as well. She's sitting there looking uh, like, hey, what's going on? But uh, the doc says he is back in his study in his sanctum on Earth. He sits there a very long time, coming down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> coming down from the ultimate high, which yeah. is essentially what this was. And probably Steve Englehart, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. he was writing from life here. Mm -hmm. Because how do you come up with a story like this? But what Stephen realizes there at the end, okay, number one, the ancient one can show up because he's a part of eternity. Because when he died after the whole... Shumagorath invasion. Stephen had to mm -hmm. kill him in Marvel Premiere. We realized yeah. that, the, the, in fact, the Ancient One did not die. His corporeal form may, be, um, may have passed, but he became one with the universe. And essentially that means he, he and Eternity are now one. But mm -hmm. they're two sides. So he, you could describe him, like I mentioned before, I think, as Eternity's, or this might have been off mic. I mentioned this to you, Billy. He's Eternity's conscience. Yep, there's Jiminy that's, Cricket there. That's right. It's essentially perfect, perfect description there for me, Matt. Mm -hmm. And because he's one with the universe, that's why he could intervene. But Stephen now has to 
during this last panel, which you mentioned where he's coming down, he has to deal with the immense revelation that he is the only survivor of the previous Earth. And all the people he knew, the Defenders, the Avengers, Clea, everyone, his family, his friends, all of them are not the ones that he lived with and grew up with and, and encountered before this point in time. And Eternity says he created everything exactly as it was before, with one exception, he did not create a second Doctor Strange mm -hmm. to inhabit this world. Now, <laughs> Eternity must have planted the memories of the previous Earth back into all of the, the creatures that ever had an encounter with Steven, right, Billy? Because all of them still mm -hmm. remember him. They know he's the Sorcerer Supreme, yet he never existed on this world that was recreated. That's a little bit of a a sticky point there for me. But hmm. it can be explained away with Eternity being so powerful that he could yeah. easily do that. He could implant those memories in every living being who's ever known Steven. Right. Well, I'm wondering too, like at this point, it didn't happen very much or if at all, but you figure Eternity recreated the Earth, but there's all there's life on all sorts of other planets in the universe. So I'm assuming they all still know the doc and, you know, I mean, are they aware that this went on and this is going on and all this stuff? That's interesting. I think some of them must have been observing the earth and must have known about it. Well, definitely the watcher did. But, yeah. The know, watcher Galactus, those kind of like elder gods of the universe and all that stuff. I'm thinking they probably saw like, did, did this affect like Odin? You know what I mean? Like people like that who live in a different yeah. realm. So I'm That's thinking, I wonder if he knows about this stuff. Nobody ever mentioned anything about that because this was no. such a shocking storyline at the time that the rest of the Marvel e editors and writers just ignored it. <laughs> I think they <laughs> yeah. didn't work that into their story because they <laughs> was well, the comic is called Doctor Strange after all. Steve Englehart <laughs> doing his strange thing over there. We're just going to leave it be. We're not going to touch that can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> would be interesting, though, man, if somebody would go back and have a story about, you know, like you said, watch your galactic. Somebody... You know, watching this and seeing like, hey, what's going on here, and trying to figure this out, and that's know, right. Go to go to this point in time when the Earth was blowing up and stuff, like, and intervene yeah, or something. That would be exactly. cool. Exactly, it would be damn cool, man. Well, once we get Steve Englehart on for an interview, hopefully we'll mm. we'll be able to swing that one day. We can ask him what does he think about someone ever returning to this storyline, because mm -hmm. it it leaves uh, that's basically it leaves open you know the gates for new stories to just pour in. Yeah. Yeah. I think, but this has never actually mm -hmm. been touched upon again. But yeah, essentially now I believe we've had these two semi-apocalypses, but they all ended in creation or recreation in this case in the, the Englehart yeah. run of Doctor Strange. We had the, the classic one, which is CZ Neg becoming God and then basically learning that he is just the, the regular God and he caused Genesis to happen and created the universe with the Big Bang and so forth. And then mm -hmm. he didn't change a thing. So it was always fated to be him. So yeah. rather than just just bettering the creation, he just ended up giving us our, our very old creation again, essentially. And that drove mm -hmm. Mordo mad. Yeah. But here we've got Steven realizing that this time around it's quite different. There was another apocalypse. This time, not the entire universe, like with the CZ Neg thing, but at least uh, that wasn't really an apocalypse. That was just the travel back to the beginning of time. But at the time, they were fearing that that could lead to the destruction of everything because, after all, CZ Neg would create a new universe. At least that's what he was planning, right, Billy? So it would have yeah. been an apocalypse for the old 
timeline that Steven and Baron Mordo were from, but that's not what happened because it just ended up that Seasonic was the original creator. And this was just the time loop that they were caught in, sort of a Ouroboros type of effect where, you know, it's, it's time is circular. But yeah. here it's different because Steven now, the Earth has totally been devastated. The old Earth can completely destroyed and now he inhabits a new Earth, uh, which only he is aware of. So this is a this this affects him more psychologically, I think. Oh yeah, and I uh, think he so will too. always carry this with him. But like you say, nothing will really be done with that later on. He won't even mention it. It's almost like he, uh, or he consciously just shut that from his mind and never mentioned it again because it's so upsetting. So yeah, it's it's an existential crisis that he will have every time he thinks about this. But Billy, a um, fantastic issue. Yeah. yeah, between this and like you said, the CC Nag thing, there's that's uh, got to be weighing heavily on his shoulders. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, the CC Nag thing actually worked out <laughs> if you think about it, because <laughs> yeah. nothing really happened except that Stephen realized that. But I don't think he was a religious man to start with, Stephen, because he was a no. surgeon, doctors. You know, not that all doctors so, yeah. are non-religious, but most of them are actually, if you think about it. Yeah, and, I don't think um, he ever talked about that at all. No, so it didn't affect him that much the, the, that he realized that God was actually just a man from the far future who traveled back in time to just <laughs> become himself, really. But um, I think this time around, it's much more uh, jarring for his psyche, mm-hmm. realizing yeah. that he failed and then succeeded again, but not really, because this is not the world that he left. Sure. So unlike Howard the Duck, you know, trapped in the world he never <laughs> made, this is... Stephen trapped in the world, he recreated essentially, <laughs> With, mm-hmm. of course, at the behest of eternity. That, but or at the mercy of eternity, we should say. So, yeah. believe the next issue though teases something that we're not going to spoil. We're just going to say that if you picked up the recent Doctor mm. Strange trade, the epic collection called the Vampiric Versus, then you know what's <laughs> coming up and why we to just do a single issue this time around on Into the Weird because <laughs> gotta go into this next storyline fresh, Billy, featuring mm-hmm. one of Steven's greatest foes, which he's never battled before. No. Uh, up to this point in time. I don't think he even knew of his existence, to be honest with you. If he did, he never referenced it. I think you're right. I think you're, you're spot on with that. And of course, mm-hmm. we'll talk more about that. And many of you already know who's coming. One of our favorite <laughs> Marvel characters villains mm. and that's going to be steven's uh, epic confrontation with said prince self-styled mm-hmm. prince of darkness and of course we're not talking satan here we're talking not talking damon <laughs> halstrom here folks so get that out of your minds anyhow that brings us to our mighty marvel missteps and bronze age brilliance billy what do you have for your mighty marvel missteps this week honestly there was only one thing that kind of you know was like eh. And, you know, you and I kind of just even touched on it a little bit here when we talked about the CC Neg storyline. You know, they just kind of did an end of the world scenario like maybe a year ago. Uh, Brunner and Engelhart did it. So it was kind of like, all right, what else you got? You know what I mean? Because all the stuff, that first story with CC Neg and everything in between then and now, you know, was super cool and awesome. So that was the only thing. It was like, oh, you just did one. It was kind of like the world blew up. Now we got to make a new one. But other than that, uh, I love this issue. You know what I mean? Well, this storyline, mm-hmm. I should say. Love it. Same with me as well. Yeah, well, well, when you're dealing with characters like Eternity and the Ancient One now becoming essentially a god himself, mm-hmm. you could 
do anything you want with uh, explaining away plot holes or things that don't make sense. My Mighty Marvel um, misstep would be the fact that, you know, this whole universe without a Steven in it seemingly seamlessly remembers Steven in it, even though <laughs> there was no second Steven recreated to feel the memories and encounters. And also obviously feel the direction some events must have gone because Steven ended up saving the universe so many times up until mm -hmm. this point. So yeah. that never happened in the previous universe. So Eternity must have done some selective editing there in events like the Shumagoroth debacle and um, the e eventual Baron Mordo trying to, to usurp the Ancient One way back when and Dormammu trying to invade the Earth. All of those things must have been selectively edited out to explain that there was a Sorcerer Supreme other than the Ancient One who prevented these disasters from happening. But mm. we know there wasn't because he just admitted that there was never a Steven on this Earth. He just transplanted this Steven in there at this point in time. So how yeah. could that those disasters have been avoided? And well, how could the, well, yeah. the defenders and all of the, the things they dealt with, how does that explain what Steven <laughs> accomplished there? So yeah. that's the only sore point. But of course, like I say, if you have a character like Eternity, you can just say, oh, Eternity took care of all of that. Planted like false memories in all their brains or something. <laughs> yeah. And also false events, you know, just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. make sure those things never happen. And then another gripe I had was the fact that Mordo didn't show up again. I mean, he was the catalyst for everything that had happened. His madness was overlooked by Steven. And uh, because of that blunder of Steven's keeping Mad Mordo in the Sanctum Sanctorum all this time, allowing Nightmare to make use of him to fuel the power of the aged Genghis in order to then in turn re-empower Mordo to take out Steven and thereby defeat him, allowing eternity to then continue his dream to destroy the earth that was a monumental mistake on steven's part so the fact that that they couldn't have wrapped it up nicely with with showing mordo drifting in the ether much like he did during the cz neg saga being driven insane here his insanity could have quote unquote be have been cured and that would also have explained why mordo would not have had to be recreated if he could have also been a survivor of this universe uh, because then it would explain why the Ancient One never had to deal with a, uh, a usurping apprentice, Mordo, and having reality threatened that way without Steven having to stop him in this new universe. But maybe that would have been too clunky, allowing two survivors, because there were already two witnesses at the beginning of time. I just thought it would have been nice if we saw Mordo in this comic. We saw Nightmare, after all, who was the, the whole mastermind behind this dastardly scheme. But yeah, I, I, for some reason, I wanted Mordo in there to get some closure um, and maybe be cured of his madness. But yeah, a little bit of a blunder on Steven's part to allow his one of his greatest enemies to recover in his sanctum. <laughs> mm -hmm. Interesting, very interesting. So yeah, and then uh, Bronze Age Brilliance, Billy. Uh, mine, I'm just going to mention it immediately. Those two fantastic splash pages by Colin. You know the one I'm meaning. The first one where oh he's sort of jump-starting evolution on Earth. Or or he mm -hmm. he mentioned this is how he created sentient life yeah. on Earth. And then the second one being <laughs> being that massive recreation of planet Earth where you, you basically see in the blink of an eye all these timelines just spewing forth from eternity's thoughts and mm -hmm. just uh, coalescing into this one central Earth that's now brand new. Yeah, they were uh, great. 
What about you, Mr. B? What's your Bronze Age brilliance? Well, there's definitely two things. It was, you know, eternity turning the dock into that creature. It was absolutely <laughs> crazy. I love that. I was just like, what? And then uh, I love seeing the Ancient One back too. You know, I mean, that was cool. I like seeing him back here, even if it was just for, you know, three or four pages. I really enjoyed that too. That was, to me, I love them bringing him back. And, you know, as they said, you know, kind of as he's, you know, one with the universe now, like his, you know, yeah, spirit is still, you know, running around but uh you know like you said his you know physical body's gone but he isn't gone really so love that too and of course you and i have talked about this many a time gene colin draws the best ancient one right mm. yeah awesome uh, brunner did a great ancient one too but i like colin's way better it's just he's his ancient one is just the perfect that's how i see the ancient one in my mind sometimes also the way ditko drew him in the 60s but this is definitely the best version, I think, Colin's ancient one. It's just yeah. so intricate and detailed, and you can see the age in his face and the wisdom and the power there. It's just yeah. incredible the way he renders the ancient one. Well, that brings us to our next segment. Now, I'm just going to explain to the listeners, Billy, we're not doing shop talk this week. We've got a new segment that we're inserting here to make up for the fact that we only discussed one issue. And this mm -hmm. segment is something we came up with to just discuss our history with comics, with the medium, but also with particular publishers and even sometimes with particular series or characters. But we're going to go big here since this is a Marvel podcast. This uh, segment will focus on how you and I started out becoming Marvel fans. And we've decided to pick four key issues from our childhood. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're going to call this next segment four favorites that fueled our fanaticism. And of course, that refers to our funny book fanaticism, comic books. <laughs> and particularly this time, it's going to be four favorites that fueled our Marvel fanaticism. So oh, look yeah. forward to that, listeners. We're going to take a small break, and then we'll be back with those four classic comics. We need your help. Look, it's not overselling it to say that the fate of the universe is at stake. And who's we? You could destroy life on a scale hitherto undreamt of. Did you seriously just say hitherto undreamt of? Are you seriously leaning on the cauldron of the cosmos? No, no. What is your job exactly besides making balloon animals? Protecting your reality, douchebag. All right, Billy, we're back with our newest segment, which won't recur, I should say, every week or every second week when you do this show, just whenever we feel like it. <laughs> and so this will not permanently replace Shop Talk. But this is our four favorites that fueled our fanaticism. Billy, I'm going to let you start first. Now, essentially, we're picking four issues from our childhood. Mm -hmm. And these don't necessarily have to be the first Marvel issues we ever read or got, because that would be hard to remember. In my case, though, I do remember the first ones I purchased, but not the first ones I read in that long box that was gifted to be my, my uncle. There was su such a lot of Marvels in there that I mm -hmm. can't particularly remember what was my very first Marvel comic, but I definitely remember the first time I was given some allowance, some pocket money to go and purchase my own comics. And those comics I can remember re really well because I, I didn't shelve them with my old issues. You know, I sort of kept them separate. They were the, the new comics, the pristine editions of, of my comics, whereas the, the dark long box was more like the trash, <laughs> the ones that had not <laughs> been taken care of by, you know, my uncle and by myself. So, you know, I kept these in a little like file fo folder that my mom had. She used to use to shell uh, to store her students tests and I had uh, them in there. So 
They stayed in there for a number of years. That's why I always remember my first four Marvel comics that I purchased. Actually, there they were five comics, but we'll talk about the, the fifth one later. So, Billy, we'll start off with you. Have you identified four key issues that turned you into a Marvel fan from way back when? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll say the first one here, you know, if we want to do like a, a countdown, basically number four is uh, Marvel Tales, number 192. You know, and as you know, Marvel Tales was, you know, hmm. at least for a very, very long time was a uh, reprints of Amazing Spider-Man, Silver right. and Bronze Age stuff. Yeah. And yeah. that is uh, reprints, The Death of Gwen Stacy. Right, you know, right. Oh, Jerry, Jerry Conway and mm. Gil Kane. Yeah. Oof. Mm. Oh, oh. So, so you got that early on when you were still a kid, basically. Uh, you already read that that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had <sighs> I have the trade now too, but yeah, I read the the Marvel Tales, you know, because obviously I wasn't yeah. born yet when that story first came out. But yeah, of course, you know they they reprinted those things, you know, fairly quick. I mean, not like super quick, but I'm thinking maybe within five years, maybe I can check the indicia, but maybe within five or 10 years tops, like that story was reprinted in Marvel yeah. tales. Like they were cranking those out pretty fast. Cause you know, it was like printing money. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Oh, Mr. B that's a great story. But I think if I was a, a little kid, I never read that story until fairly recently uh, when I started to uh, pick up the Marvel masterworks. Uh, I bought the Spidey masterworks mm. from the beginning when it debuted right. in the 1990s, but it took them a while to get to obviously the 100s yeah, uh, and to the death of Gwen Stacy and so forth. Uh, so eventually that's how I read it. I could have read it earlier too, but I, I wanted to leave that so that I could come to it fresh in the masterworks. And that story just blew my mind. Even though I already knew what happened, I, I knew the seminal moment and uh, all the, the upsetting little beats, but it's still the art, even though it's Gil Kane, I love that issue. And Gwen Stacy, one of the most beautiful women ever to be drawn in comic books, whether she's rendered by John Romita Sr. or Gil Kane or whoever. And mm-hmm. then, of course, that classic love of, love uh, affair. Well, the, just the classic lo- relationship between her and Peter was so mm-hmm. well done on the writing part as well by Conway and before them by Stan Lee too setting it up to to end in the shocking moment with her death so yeah. yeah that is a great issue to have to to be the one that turned you into a marvel fan i must say i envy you for that yeah i was a huge spider-man fan when i was a little kid from you know the live action show and yeah. reruns of the 68 cartoon and a spider-man his amazing friends and i think i just looked it up it was uh, 86 when that was reprinted so okay. you know that was it wasn't as early on as i had thought but you know, like that was definitely the first, like, you know, seminal story that I read that was like, wow, just blew me away. And I thought, wow, you know, because Spider-Man on the cartoons and stuff like that, there was never that kind of, you know, drama. It was yeah. just more kid kid related kid where friendly. Conway wasn't screwing around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Mr. B. Great pick. Fantastic pick. Yeah. I think, you know, my history with Marvel Tales is a bit scattershot. I didn't get a lot of the comics uh, when I collected stuff off the spinner rack for some reason. I did pick up a few issues, but they were more from the earlier, earlier Ditko's, you know, run mm, yeah. uh, with Stanley in the sixties, but the later ones I didn't get for some reason, they just weren't available. So it's yeah. my loss. Really. I could have read that Gwen Stacy story in the eighties when I was primed and ready for it. Yeah. But uh, I, I only read it in my adulthood really. Mm-hmm. But for, for me, Mr. B, my fourth uh, pick accounting down, like you said, 
is uh, first I, I better explain what happened to me. Like when I was about five or six, my dad saw, obviously I was now a comic book fan because I had been gifted a, a huge bunch of comics. So he eventually decided, okay, I'll give him a little bit of an allowance and he can buy a few comics off the spinner racks. Because every time we went into a corner store, I would point to the spinner racks and say, hey, can I add to my collection a little? You know, so I was <laughs> salivating to get this co these comics. And mm -hmm. of course, my dad and my mom, they agreed. They gave me uh, an allowance of two rand a week. Now, that was kind of a lot for a kid back then. Not that we were rich or anything, but I think my parents, they probably didn't know just how much you could get with two rand. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't understand why they didn't know that because they were pretty savvy with their money. But, you know, they weren't rich or anything. They just gave me a, an incredible allowance. Normally, the my, my peers would get a rand or even 50 cents a week or something or maybe two rand a month or three rand a month. But essentially what you could buy back then, all comics were 20 cents, at least in South Africa. You could buy with one rand five comics. And with the other mm -hmm. rand, you know, that I got a week, I bought candy or cookies or you know stuff to share with my friends. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes I would even go two rand a week. If there were comics that I really wanted, <laughs> that would be 10 comics a week. But normally mm -hmm. I, I, I used half of that to buy comics. So the first time I got this allowance, it was a, it's a big deal for me because my dad immediately took me to a corner store for the express pur purpose of spending this allowance, <laughs> even though he did say, <laughs> Hey, sometimes you have to save a bit, but I was a six year old man. You know, I was in the senior <laughs> class of kindergarten. I wasn't going to save. He knew that. Yeah. So I ended up in this corner store where I, where we used to stop quite a lot, lots of issues on the spinner racks. And I picked up stuff that were probably four or five years, uh, late. Uh, they were issues from the mid seventies, really. But there was one issue from a uh, contemporary issue from, I think, 1980 or 1981. But we'll talk about that one just now. But the first one I picked up was definitely one whose cover just screamed at me. And that was Fantastic Four, number 175. And mm. this was by Roy Thomas with art by the great John Buscema. And this featured the cover of the High Evolutionary versus Galactus. And that's mm. smack dab in the center of that storyline where Galactus showed up again. This time he wanted to snack on the High Evolutionary's counter-Earth. <laughs> and uh, the evolutionary wasn't having it. So the FF was, were involved. They were trying to find an alternative world where, where that Galactus could feed on without sentient life. They failed. So Galactus said, okay, your deadline's passed. I'm going to eat. I'm going to gobble up Counter-Earth. And the evolutionary just had to smack down with him. Obviously, mm -hmm. Galactus won, but it was an epic battle. So that yeah. comic made me, I think, a Marvel fan for life because it was just so bombastic and... Uh, the art just tore off the page into my eyes and just did something to my brain that I never thought was possible and just made me a Marvel <laughs> fan. I mean, up before this time, I was already reading some Marvel and, and some DC, but this one just really came at me from a different angle. And I was like, oh, yeah, now I'm going to start buying Marvel comics. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I do. I think I have that one. It's that cover. I, I, they're fighting on the cover, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're blasting yeah. at each other. The evolutionaries... Uh, yeah. blasting Galactus's chest, Galactus barely missing his head with his own <laughs> uh, ray blast there. And the FF and are stuck in this force bubble that they're trying to get out of, which mm -hmm. is hanging sort of uh, above the crowd of New York there on Counter-Earth. Yeah. 
And then you've got those classic bubble bubbles uh, floating around the FF's uh, Fantastic Four logo there with their faces in them, uh, mm. kind of eschewing the corner box art at that point in time. But <laughs> it was it was a fantastic issue, and I always regret now that we've had Roy Thomas on for an interview on A World on Fire that I couldn't that I didn't have the time to ask him about this issue because yeah, this was my favorite Fantastic Four issue, probably still is just for nostalgia's sake, you know. Cool. So that that's my number four, Mister B. Fantastic Four from July nineteen seventy six, number one hundred and seventy five. Now, what's your number three? I'm getting curiouser and curiouser. Okay, so this one's crazy, and I love it. Uh, it's uh, Amazing Adventures 27, you know, uh, War of the Worlds featuring Kill Raven. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love, sure, love it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is the first one I ever got because I saw the amazing, awesome Jim Starlin cover, and it has, you know, Kill Raven there, and there's a, a, a scantily clad lady there at his uh, feet, like, oh, no, we're going to die because there's some... Uh, Lovecraftian monster creeping up behind her with these nice tentacles that have mouths on the end of them trying to kill them. <laughs> but yeah, you know, yeah, this was uh, my first introduction to Don McGregor and uh, P. Craig Russell. So yeah, love it. It was just like, wow, this is crazy. I love it. Yeah, of course, Kill Raven, a big part of my reading diet in the late 70s and early 80s, as I could pick up those issues. So I can remember mm-hmm. when I first read my first Kill Raven. It might have been from uh, the, the box I had. But it might also have been off the spinner rack. It's just fantastic series, and we're we've promised to talk about that series on future oh, episodes yeah. of Into the Weird because that that is really the epitome of weird too. It is of the Bronze Age of Marvel. It's crazy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, for me, I that very same day that I picked up, uh, fan- I'm I'm basically unlike you, Mister B. I'm going to be talking about the four Marvel issues I picked up during my first excursion out with with Pocket Bunny to that, that, that corner store there. So okay. all of these Marvel issues is from that first excursion. Now there's, they're sort of all over the 1970s. So they're not really from that month because we didn't get comics that way. I think I explained it a long time ago. ago. We sort of got comics uh, much later than you guys received them. Sometimes some of the boxes would be in stories, storage. They were shipped over as ballast, much like they were done, uh, you know, being shipped over to Britain at the time on mm-hmm. ships and then also some some places started to order them expressly for the purpose of filling up the magazine racks or the spinner racks because kids were reading them but it was more yeah. harvey and casper and then the marvel was just ancillary stuff you know mm. also shipped over from the states to supplement that you know so cool. we got from all eras uh, but then in the mid or early 80s it started to level out a bit more we got the the regular comics maybe a month or two after it was released in the states but this was the well, time when yeah when they were they were like five years out of date so you know so <laughs> i picked up like i said in this was probably 1980 or 1981 when i mm-hmm. went to that corner store for the first time to buy comics and um this was an issue from 1977 now the, the ff issue i just discussed was from 1976 this hulk issue which is now my number three the incredible hulk Number 209. Mm. Uh, this was from that very same Spinner Rack 2. And okay. I remember there were a couple of other options too that I could have bought, but I, I didn't go for that. I eventually went for the, the ones, the covers that stood out to me. And this yeah. cover, just like the FF cover, is incredible. This is basically the Hulk fighting the Absorbing Man. Mm. And they're on a construction site with the Absorbing Man growing to giant size, seemingly consisting of all manner of materials found on that site. 
iron, you know, they've got the, the, the rocky exterior on his feet, and then he's got the ball and chain wrapped around the Hulk's throat, sort of trying to strangle him. And this <laughs> is Crusher Creel saying, the absorbing man has come back for revenge. And this featured an epic battle between the Hulk and the absorbing man. Now, the absorbing man's normally a Thor foe, but he's also since become a Hulk foe, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. They've duked it out a couple of times. And this is basically Bruce Banner on the run again, trying to lay low. So get this, rather than applying for a job that he's more suited for, because that would put him on, you know, the public eye, he applies for a job where you don't have to provide too much ID, a construction worker. (laughs) (laughs) Not that he has the physique to work on a a Manhattan skyscraper, but he does so. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's uh, staying at a boarding house with this hot landlord that sort of has a thing for him. She's got a thing for brainy types. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, then he goes in every morning to work at this construction site, but he's being tracked down by the absor- absorbing man who's in- basically in the pay of a sinister cabal called they who wield power. And they were in the shadows <laughs> at first, but later they were revealed to be villains in the Marvel universe, but the, they wield power essentially want to destroy the Hulk. So they send the absorbing man on an assassination run. And the absorbing man has this fantastic Donnybrook with the Hulk on the skyscraper. At first, he's, he tries to murder Bruce Banner. And mm-hmm. then uh, Bruce changes into the Hulk. And there's this fantastic scene that I can't get out of my head ever since I was a kid where the Hulk tosses a, a crate full of red-hot rivets at the absorbing man. And it hits him full in his mug. And then he just ends up absorbing the power of the rivets, turning himself into this red-hot rivet man. <laughs> who then proceeds to burn the Hulk's hands. But it has a great ending, Billy, this battle. The Hulk essentially totals the skyscraper and they're plummeting in in the shockwave that the Hulk has created. This briefly turns the absorbing man human again. And as they fall through the, the air, about to impact on the ground, the absorbing man, in his effort to save himself, he he tries to grab a piece of concrete or metal and he ends up grabbing a piece of glass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he turns into glass and spatang! He's totaled when he smashes down at the bottom. And then the Hulk, you know, again, has to give up his job and and flee as Bruce Banner. So that didn't work he out. Walked, but it's a great issue. He, yeah. He walks away with some really sad piano music. Then. <laughs> just, just like Bill Bixby <laughs> there, right? So. Yeah. I used to, I like the uh, Absorbing Man a lot. And yeah, uh, one of my buddies was busting my balls years ago uh, that apparently doesn't like him and was referring to him as the ass boring man. Oh, man, he's <laughs> nothing. Yeah, he's nothing like that. He's, he's not a boring character. I mean, you just have to read <laughs> some recent storylines with him. I, there was this fantastic uh, Black Bolt miniseries where the Absorbing Man was a character where Black Bolt and the Absorbing Man and a couple of other Marvel uh, villains and, and heroes had been uh, trapped in this intergalactic prison. And the Absorbing Man had a fantastic character arc there. And now he's shacked up with Thundra. He's he's in love with her. They're both in love with each other. And that's a fantastic added dimension to his character. And then also the Absorbing Man has recently been seen in the Immortal Hulk spinoff, uh, which is Gamma Flight. And so... He's hmm. fantastic there too. So I don't know how people can say the apps boring man. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> he's great. Yeah, 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 he's pretty cool. I like his powers. 
You know, there was a Dazzler issue. I don't know which issue it was, but when I was a kid, I read this issue of the Dazzler where mm. uh, the Absorbing Man tried to go straight. He really, mm. he tried hard to go straight. And then, you know, he got involved in this fight with Dazzler. And But there was a brief time where he really tried hard <laughs> to go straight and then just couldn't cut it. He's, he's very similar to the Sandman from Spider-Man, you know. Yeah. Every now and then they will have this... this uh, morality wrestling match and then try to square what they're doing with their own personal philosophy. And it won't work out, of course. They're destined to be villains, but yeah. Right. So fantastic issue there. Now, Mr. B, what's your number two? We're getting to the end near here. Okay, so I'm going to cheat a little bit and it's like a two-parter, so it's two comics, but it's the same story. Uh, Marvel Team Up 80 and 81. Where we have uh, Doctor Strange, is it? Yep, Doctor Strange and uh-huh. Spidey, and then Satana, and it's insane. I love it because Ooh. the doc, the doc gets turned into a werewolf, and <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Spider Spidey fights him, and oh, I remember it's crazy that. Good and a really sad um, ending too. But wow, I mean, what a creative team though. I mean, you got Chris Claremont writing in issue eighty and eighty one, and then the penciler is Mike Vosberg, the inker Gene Day. So, you know, hey, that's a pretty good creative team right there. And then uh, in the next issue, you have, uh, I guess I said Claremont and then uh, Vosberg and then inks by Steve Lealoa in that one. So pretty cool. Ooh, fantastic. Yeah, that's a Mm -hmm. team for the ages there. Yeah, I remember those issues fondly. And we've um, marked them down as possible. Well, we're definitely going to talk about them on Into the Weird when we get to the, the guest appearances by Steven or... You know the appearances by him and other titles, um, mm-hmm. where, because we're kind of going to essentially be covering everything from Doctor Strange and the Bronze Age. So well done mm-hmm. there, Mr. B. Those are classics, and it's not a cheat <laughs> because well, a continuous storyline, two comics mm-hmm. is fine. Um, so you know I'll, I'll let that slide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read those probably a dozen times. There, I just loved them so much. Like well, they were some of the earliest. Uh, issues of Marvel team up that I ever bought. And again, it goes back to a love for Spidey. And to be honest with you, that might be how I started on the trail of becoming such a huge uh, Dr. Strange fan as well, because I definitely had Marvel team up before I had Dr. Strange comics. So that probably is what uh, led me down that path. Cause he had a lot of Marvel team up and Marvel two one appearances too. That's right. I should have asked you about that. That that is what Mm -hmm. fueled your Dr. Strange fandom. Huh? Interesting. Probably, never, probably, yeah. Ah, there, there you go. So this is mm-hmm. very in line with what we're doing here. Not only is yeah. this how you become a Marvel fan, but also a Doctor Strange fan. So, mm-hmm. yeah, incredible. Yeah, so mine is a, a an issue that uh, probably also started my Robert E. Howard fandom uh, outside of the comics too. Not, But I was too young to then read Robert E. Howard's short stories and novels, even though I could read at that time. I was just... Um, I only picked that up maybe a couple of years after that, but I already became aware. This is where my first encounter with this character, at least. This was just before the movie hit Billy, and this is, of course, Conan the Barbarian. And this issue was older, and I remember it was not as beautiful or new-looking as the rest. It was a little bit tattered, so it was probably damaged in a box or in storage in this, um, wherever this owner of this corner store had gotten it from because i remember they kept Mm -hmm. boxes in the back and when the spinner rack empties out they fill it up with stuff they have in the boxes 
Mm-hmm. And I, I, one time I tried to ask them, you know, when, when there were some key issues I was missing to actually open up a box and check for me. And man, I got a scathing look. <laughs> that was not, <laughs> not going to happen at all. Even though the, mm-hmm. the, the proprietor was kind of a nice man. He was a Portuguese gentleman and him and his family mm. had owned that corner cool. store. Well, there were a couple of corner stores like that. Most of them owned by Portuguese families or Greek families in, in South Africa in my small town where I grew up. And my mom seemed to know all of them because she had at one point in time taught all of their kids at the right. only English school. There were four or five Afrikaans schools in my small town, but there was only one essential English school there. So uh, primary school. So she knew these folks as parents, you know, from of the students she had taught. But even though they knew then I was, you know, Mrs. Lowe's son, they were not very friendly towards these you know, requests to go into the, the storage room and just open up <laughs> these boxes, see what back issues they have. But I tried at least once. Anyway, uh, so uh, there, this, this was a really old issue from 1973, whereas the first two was from 76 and 77. This was Conan the Barbarian number 32 from, mm. from 1973. And this featured a fantastic cover. This is now Conan being penciled by, of course, John Buscema and inked by Ernie Chan. And uh, Roy Thomas, of course, writing, Flame Winds of Lost Kitai. And on the cover, Conan is battling this uh, octopoid femme fatale in this under underwater cave system uh, with a skeleton lying there in the back and Conan having his dagger out and grabbing this, this uh, underwater beauty by her hair and about to plunge this dagger between her breasts and the lower body just being an octopus wrapping around him and trying to strangle him very much like what's that character ursula from disney (laughs) from the little mermaid Uh, yeah and she's trying to strangle conan here and the air bubbles are leaving his mouth as he's gaping in what what appears to be shock at this creature so -hmm. this is a fantastic issue it kind of throws you into the thick of things conan has been employed by these people to essentially rob um, a person in Kitai, which is what I also associated with the Hyborian Ages Far East, <clears throat> the Orient right. in, in, in Conan's world. And he, sm- he was smuggled into the city. And then he encountered this pool in order to, to obviously enter this palace. He dove through this pool, but he was lured into this pool by this fetching beauty who seems to be a shape changer she had first appeared human but once she got him under the water to take like a moonlight swim with her she morphed into this creature and uh the, the, essentially the whole issue is about this battle between conan and this monster on his way to rob this palace in kitai cool so fantastic first introduction to the character of conan i didn't know what was happening there i just love the art and i love the corner box art there with conan standing with his axe Mm. And uh, ever since then, I was a Conan fan. And that was my first, well, I think my first Conan issue that I ever bought. But there were a couple of Conan issues in the long box, Billy. But they were so tattered and messed up that I didn't really look at them a lot. I did, Mm -hmm. of course. But I I couldn't really read them because pages were missing and stuff like that. Or covers were missing. Mm. But not all the issues in the long box were like that. But I remember the Conan ones were. But this was my first nice Conan, even though it, it was older than the rest that I had just bought. So great introduction to mm. the character. So Billy, what's your number one, man? Now we're at the very end here. 
All right, so get ready. Tomb of Dracula 25. Whoa! <laughs> classic! Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I love Tomb of Dracula number 25. We talked about it uh, on another show. I can't remember, Long Box of Darkness or Into the Weirder. Might have been mentioning it with Ryan Daly as well, along for the ride, but that is a great issue. Tell us a little bit about that issue and, of course, the classic character who's introduced in there, right, Billy? One of yeah, the, so that's... Yeah. It was my first ever Tomb of Dracula issue. Um, I think I even had it before I bought a couple of the reprints too. But oh yeah, it was great. And it introduces uh, Hannibal King. So yeah. that's cool too. I like that character quite a bit. Um, you know, he was pretty cool in the comic. And can't go wrong with, you know, Marv Wolfman, Gene Colan, and Tom Palmer as the creative team. It's just that title was just so good for so long. You know, it's such a high level, but yeah, that was my favorite issue. I read that, read that, read that too. Another one I probably read a dozen times. Love it. Yeah, that that issue blew my mind when I read it. Um, I can't remember how I picked it up. Of course, it was of you know Tomb of Dracula debuted before I was born, so this was all obviously in back issues after the fact. But when I when I read it, I can't remember when or where or how I picked it up. I remember my mind was blown because uh, the supernatural gumshoe Hannibal King was introduced, but the the story is so interesting because it's basically him being approached Sam Spade style by this <laughs> alluring beauty who who wants him to look into the death of her husband at the hand of at the hands of the count, mm-hmm. and uh, Gene Collins are just popped and Tom Palmer on inks there, and then you have the scene where. Uh, Hannibal takes the job and he goes into this warehouse and he essentially confronts the brides of Dracula and they <laughs> attack him and then he ends up spraying this one, one of them with uh, with foam, you know, from a fire extinguisher and then uh, grabbing an axe off the wall and essentially murdering her with his axe, chopping her up into little <laughs> bits <laughs> while she's mm-hmm. covered in this blood-flecked foam. <laughs> and then at the end, what is revealed, Billy, one of... Well, I didn't see this coming at all because the entire issue is set up to just make Hannibal King appear like your normal run-of-the-mill private investigator. But what is revealed on the very last panel? Yeah, that he's, you know, a vampire as well. And it's really cool because they don't go into anything. They just basically show him kind of smirking and you see his fangs. So that was really cool. A great, great reveal. I love that. Like I said, he's a really cool character. He ended up, you know, adding a pretty good dynamic to that one. Yeah, and that woman, you know, the 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 widow who employed mm-hmm. him, she's one of the most beautiful women that Gene Colan ever drew for me. She's a she's a, a lady of color. She's a black lady, but I think she's mm-hmm. a she's oh, yeah. even Misty Knight can't compare to her. And I love Misty. You know how much I love Misty. But that mm-hmm. lady, I can't remember her name now off the bat. But I remember when I was a kid, I was like, oh my god, what a goddess. Just the way Colin yeah. drew her. So, yeah, fantastic. And then she kisses Hannibal at the end there as a reward, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. King. Oh, man. Yeah. So, yeah, he's good at comforting grieving widows. He would do that a couple of times throughout that series. <laughs> he's a dog. <laughs> yeah, man. But then, you know, it brings us to my final one as well, Mr. B. Now, this mm-hmm. is the comic book that made me a fan for life. The first time I encountered Luke Cage, but also Iron Fist. And you know, if you encounter them in one comic, it must be obviously a Power Man and Iron Fist issue. And mm. this one was strange because like I mentioned, most of the comics on the Spinnerack at that time were like four or five years out of date. But for some reason, this one was a contemporary issue. Mm. Um, now, it might have been a year old at the time because like I said, this might be 1981 that I was in that corner store. But this issue is dated 
September 1980. Um, so a rarity for South Africa to have a, a relatively new issue, just a year old at that point in time on the Spinarax. And this was Power Man and Iron Fist number 66. And this is probably mm. one of my favorite covers from the Bronze Age, Billy. This features a story called The Jade Tiger. And mm. it stars the Daughters of the Dragon, of course, Miss T. Knight and Colleen Wing. And on the cover, there's this fantastic image. By the way, the cover was done by Frank Miller, a young Frank Miller mm. at that time, and Klaus okay. Jensen, his partner there on Inks. And this cover is uh, features this tiger statue, which is ob obviously Jade. Uh, bright and shiny on the cover there and then reflected in the statue's body is Misty Knight and Colleen Wing and they're harried there by some unknown evil you can see there's fear on their faces and they're hard pressed and then Power Man and Iron Fist in the background but this statue the way it's poised is of a tiger that that's standing on this rock promontory about to leap at you to devour you or kill you so this is not just mm. a tiger in a very stationary position no 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 this is one poised for action and this is an amazing issue as well it features basically misty knight and colleen wing on a job they have to steal back this jade tiger the statue that's been um stolen by a mob boss essentially and they they were hired by the original owner to to return the statue and so they enter this warehouse where this gangster keeps all of his stolen art and then they encounter the guards of that warehouse and they are a very, very upsetting because uh, in essentially they almost murder Misty Knight and Colleen Wing and they are Sabretooth and his partner, the Constrictor. And now, mm, you know, wow. Sabretooth becoming a Wolverine villain and an X-Men villain later on. He's, he actually started out as a, as an Iron Fist and a Power Man villain here. Yep. And but you know um, this was not his first appearance, of course. But the way he was drawn here by um, Kerry Gamble, who was then the penciler and inked by Ricardo Villamonte, is very horror movie esque. He shows up God. in the warehouse. The constrictor shows up. He almost murders uh, Colleen. Misty fights Sabretooth, and Misty ends up a robot arm is damaged, and she ends up trapped in the vault, losing oxygen fast. And then in this vault, this gigantic vault, and then Colleen Wing, she is basically ripped, almost ripped apart by Sabretooth. And then she crawls almost Electra style, if you think about it, that, that classic issue where Bullseye murders Electra. This is, oh, yeah. this happened before that. Misty crawl, oh, sorry, I should say Colleen crawls through the streets of, of New York to Danny's dojo, um, leaving a trail of blood and gore behind her. It's horrific. And then mm. obviously Power Man Gosh. and Iron Fist. Uh, upset that this has been done to their friends. And of course, Iron Fist was involved with Misty in a relationship at this point in time. They yep. head out to the warehouse to save Misty. And then it's this all out brawl between Iron Fist, Power Man, Sabretooth and the Constrictor. Oh, it's just, man, just thinking about that issue makes me want to go back and read it now. It's <laughs> incredible. Awesome. And I can't wait until we get to that on our Into the Weird Patreon, Mr. B. Dragons yeah, and I've never read that one. Oof, it's so good. It's so good. You got to get your hands on that somehow. So yeah, that's that. The, those are our four favorites that fueled our fanaticism. Now let's uh, extend an invitation to the listeners here, Mister V. Please send us an email to sinkintotheweird at gmail .com or engage with us on Twitter, DM us, and tell us. We'll we'll release a post, right, Billy? Tell us mm -hmm. what are 
your four favorites that fueled your Marvel fanaticism. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, let us know and then we'll read it out on the next show and discuss it. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, love to. Now, I do want to mention another thing before we wrap up the segment, Mr. B. There was a fifth issue I purchased because after all, I had one rand to spend. Uh, the, the other rand I spend on other stuff, but the, the one rand I spent could buy five comics. And since I remembered those five comics years afterwards because they were stuck in this little folder and I kept them there. Mm -hmm. This was a DC issue, Billy, and it featured a series that you've yet to read, but I, I'm a big fan of, and I know Dr. Ange is uh, our mutual on Twitter. He's also a massive fan of this series. And this was Beowulf, Dragon Slayer. From, from DC there in the mid oh, 70s. Yeah. And this was number six, the final issue of the run, not wrapping up the, the entire story because it was canceled in the DC implosion. But this was mm -hmm. from, uh, I think, 1976. And this is the classic story of Beowulf, uh, Michael Uslan writing and Ricardo Villamonte doing the wow. art It's just amazing. I think Rick Estrada also might have had something to do with this issue. But you will love this issue, Mr. B. This is classic sword and sorcery action, but it's insane. It's Beowulf. He has to defeat Grendel, much like in the mm -hmm. classic uh, tale. Mm -hmm. But in order to do so, he has to travel with his uh, sort of Shana-looking jungle partner, Nanzi, who's dressed in this tiger skin bikini all the time. He has to <laughs> journey with her to the Isle of Crete and there enter the labyrinth of the Grotto Minotaur, uh, and they're, you know, from Greek mythology, and he has to steal this fruit called the Zumak fruit, because only by eating this fruit can he become physically powerful enough to take on Grendel. Mm, wow. And th there's this insane story of Dracula even shows up in this too, dude. Dracula oh is there. He's a, he's a, a soldier of Satan. And uh, we've <laughs> got Grendel. Then at the end of the comic, I remember he murdered Satan and took over, the, took the throne of hell for himself. Gosh. It's just nuts. Yeah, That's it's nuts. wild. Beowulf murders this minotaur. He eats the Zumak fruit and the comic ends with him smashing, literally pounding his way out of the labyrinth. And then it just left <laughs> us hanging there, you know, with the, the battle to the death with Grendel never to be realized on, in comic book form, at least in this way. Mm, uh, wow. In this uh, particular DC comic series. So, oh man, fantastic. That was my inroads to... The, the classic sword and sorcery and comic form uh, along with the Conan issue of that time. Yeah. I just loved it. And I picked it because of the cover where Beowulf is essentially riding this Minotaur holding onto his horns and the Minotaur is about to gouge <laughs> little Nancy lying there all voluptuously on the ground amidst a, a, a mound of skulls. It's just great. Wild. That's awesome. Yeah. That sounds, I've, I've seen that series, you know, before floating around and, there was a couple of times I almost pulled the trigger on eBay. People selling the whole series there, the whole run. I probably should have. You got to pick it up, Mr. B. It's just six issues, but every single one of them are is so unique and singular. Number six is my favorite, but there are some great the art and stories in the earlier ones too. It's basically a, a protracted adventure of, of Beowulf trying to defeat Grendel, but also now he realizes Grendel has this whole range of other characters which stands between Beowulf and, and eventually the battle with Grendel. It's not just Grendel, it's his mother, it's Satan, it's the demon hordes <laughs> of hell, it's it's wizards and sorcerers and everybody's got a stake in this. Yeah, so it's a fantastic uh, bit of fun there for six issues in DC. 
All right, so Billy, that's it for our four favorites. Now we're going to head into our next segment, which is the recommendations of Ragador. But first, a word from our, well, quote-unquote, evil sponsor. Festive greetings, mortals. It is I, the Dread Dormammu, back with some recommendations of Ragador. But first, I prepared a special treat for you this Christmas. I have taken it upon myself to write a song to regale your ears with my magnificence. That's right, the Dread Dormammu is a songwriter. And I've drafted one of the Into the Weird crew to perform it. Herman! Are you ready? Oh, jeez, Dormammu. I can't believe you're making me do this, man. This is so demeaning. Silence! And get your singing voice ready. Save your complaints for later when I torture you. Alright, listeners, enjoy! Bells are tolling, are you listening? The earth is burning, the doctor's missing. A beautiful sight, we're happy tonight in our apocalyptic wasteland. Humanity will expire, faulting flames are burning brighter. The mindless ones cheer, Dormammu is here, in your apocalyptic wasteland. On the ruins we will build a dark land, dark dimensions beating the earth down. When the humans bleed we will say no man, your sorcerer supreme is not in town. Later on. We'll conspire at the Earth's funeral pyre To face unafraid humanity's fate In our apocalyptic wasteland mm, Not bad, not bad at all Not quite the way I would have done it, but uh, So far, you're not doing too shabbily I remember the ending it's all important. You better get it just right. All right, all right. Especially the laugh. Remember the laugh. I got it, I got it. To face unafraid humanity's fate In our apocalyptic wasteland In our apocalyptic wasteland in our apocalyptic wasteland. <laughs> nice. All right, we're back with the recommendations of Ragador. Mr. B, I'll let you go first. What is your recommendation for this week? Okay, so this originally came out in three single issues, but then they put it into a trade at 2012. It's called The Vault from Image Comics. Mm. You ever heard of this one? Uh, no, I, I, well, I, I know you spoke about it off mic, but I, I, I don't know about it at all. Tell us what is, what is that about? It's super cool. It's uh, the uh, 
a blurb on the back says, a small team of treasure hunters struggles to excavate a dangerous and legendary treasure pit before a massive storm hits Sable Island, the graveyard of the North Atlantic. Equipped with all the latest technology, the scientists believe they are prepared against all of nature's fury, but nothing can prepare them for what they are about to unleash from the vault. And it's a really cool horror story. Super, super oh, cool that horror sounds story. right up my alley, Mr. V. Oh, classic mm-hmm. horror. New horror, too, which is unusual for mm-hmm. us. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it blew me away. I hadn't read a good horror story like this in quite a while when I read it, so I was really blown away by it. Yeah, it's a script is by a uh, Sam Sarkar, a guy that I think he's more of a, a movie or television writer, maybe. Art by Gary Gastoni, Gastoni, something like that. And then, uh, you know, there's a couple of names. Uh, one of them, at least, I know you'll recognize in here. Co-developed and edited by Dave Elliott. <laughs> ah yes 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 oh okay so that makes it even more of an incentive for me to get this series i might not even have to i, I might i might not be able to wait for it to arrive from amazon or, or where, wherever or from ordering for the shop i might have to get it digitally because now with christmas everything's delayed right believe the shipping takes mm. ages to get here so yeah i'm well thanks for this recommendation i've been looking to get back into some modern horror mm-hmm. very cool so what do you got well, I stopped by the shop last week and one of the collections I picked up there will be my recommendation of Ragador here. It's a, a classic Avengers storyline contained in this epic collection called the Avengers Heavy Metal. Mm. <laughs> and this, I don't know if you, you read the mid 80s to almost late 80s Avengers series there, Billy, but that's when John Buscema returned to oh, yeah. pencil the title. And he also had Tom Palmer inking him from yep. Tomb of Dracula fame. And that was such a fantastic combination. So you've got the, the roster at this point in time being Namor, Marina from Alpha Flight, the Black Knight, Thor, of course, and then She-Hulk. Hercules was there briefly too. Um, but then he was beaten up by the Masters of Evil, as you might recall there in that classic <laughs> yeah. Olympus story. Yeah, that, that was a crazy storyline. But this heavy metal basically concerns... Uh, a lot of stories. It's a thick collection. I think 450 pages in excess of that even. Wow. And I had this moment with the, the store owner here because the store owner, he's not clued up. He's clued up on modern Marvel and DC uh, comics because obviously he's become a fan from the movies and so forth. But he's really sure. a manga guy. You know, he's, he's a Chinese Taiwanese dude who specializes in manga. He knows everything about manga. He's got, he's got great English skills so he can communicate with me like, you know, a uh, uh, first language speaker can but right. um when i picked up this collection off of the racks he said oh what's this about so i stood there for about 20 minutes paging through the heavy metal uh this this collection just explaining the avengers to him <laughs> explaining <laughs> not the avengers explaining these stories and there's some great stuff in here this features a classic kang storyline where a female kang seduces dr druid and turns <laughs> him briefly evil and it features mm-hmm. Thor versus a futuristic Terminator in the form of a Tyrannosaurus Rex, which is <laughs> <just> great. <laughs> and then the Black Knight gets, uh, he gets put under the curse of the Ebony Blade. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's suffering from that. There's that storyline. And of course, the, the probably the most impactful storyline is the loss of Marina, Namor's bride at this point in time, when she oh, reverted yeah. to her male self. And uh, you remember that storyline, right, Mr. B? Yeah, doesn't she turn into some like giant sea creature monster thing and then Namor's got to put her down? 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. this this um, really Leviathan. Sad. It's very sad. It's it's Namor yeah. quitting the uh, quitting the Avengers, and in fact, the end culminates in all of the Avengers really quitting, and then Jarvis is the sole remaining Avenger. <laughs> but then a new team comes along. We've got U.S. Agent Cap, and then Mister Fantastic and uh, Sue Storm, the Invisible Girl, briefly join because at this point in time they weren't with the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. And also, I think Gilgamesh. it was Gilgamesh. Yeah, Gilgamesh. That's right. Gilgamesh with his horned mm-hmm. helm. That's classic. He's he joins. Yep. <laughs> and then we've got this storyline at the end featuring the High Evolutionary going nuts. We talked about the High Evolutionary earlier. He's always been one of my favorite Marvel villains, mm-hmm. you know, ever since I read him in Warlock. But where he wasn't really a villain, you know, in Warlock, no. he, he sort of became a, vil- a de facto villain later on i mean he started off uh, his first appearance was in a thor comic in the silver age right billy where he was not yeah. really a villain he was more just like he created a villain in in the form of the uh, man beast if you remember yeah. that brown-skinned wolf man like wolf guy yeah yeah and then that also came to fruition of course he was a villain and then silver age hulk but it came to this the whole story of the man beast came to fruition with the advent of adam warlock which we so loved, right, Billy? And then, oh, then yeah. after that, it seemed the high evolutionary could could go into the realm of the villain whenever he it suited him, you know. But, yeah, he um, was like one of those guys that was always like, you know, I'm trying to do experiments and this and that. He doesn't give a crap who gets, you know, who or what gets hurt in the meantime. So then, you know, the heroes are always like, hey, you got to knock that off. And he's like, don't tell me what to do. Like I'm above you. And then that's look right. Out. That's right. That's right. I recently picked up the new high evolutionary action figure as well <laughs> because I just couldn't <laughs> resist it, you know. Um, oh, neat. But I always loved him. And here, there's a storyline featured here. It's from an Avengers annual where the high evolutionary just goes completely loco. And uh, then the Hulk, Grey, Grey Hulk and Hercules and the Beast and a female yellow jacket and Cap, US agent Cap, they have to take him down. And it's a you know also an interesting bit of um, of Marvel history there. So yeah, pick up this collection if you can. If you haven't yet, listeners, um, I've got the original issues, but I hardly ever take them out of the long boxes. So now I just love reading them in these epic collections. Heavy metal, um, the Avengers epic collection there. So yeah, I believe that's my recommendations of Ragador. Now we're gonna play cool. a short promo, but we'll be back after the short break. Don't go away, listeners. Jeff and Merck present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. We got kids with powers, we got villains with attitude. We got superhero guests, like all of them from the Marvel Universe. We have thematically appropriate beer reviews. We have good jokes and bad song parodies. One stop for all your Power Pack pod-pleasing procurements. And we got alliteration. Find Unpacking the Power of Power Pack wherever fine podcasts are played. Costumes on. All right. Well, that wraps up another Into the Weird. Mr. B, Christmas is looming. I'm sure you've got mm-hmm. some plans with the family. What are you going to be up to this Christmas? Uh, hopefully unloading a ton of loot from my stocking from Santa Claus. That's what I'm... <laughs> I'm there <greedy>. you go. <laughs> yes. Santa's mm-hmm. coming to town, baby. I'm hoping Erin uh, glanced at my Amazon wish list. I've already received a few packages, which she has very uh, nicely allowed me to open. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, hopefully she'll also like my gift, which is not comic book related at all. (laughs) (laughs) 
Anyway, so listeners, we'll leave you with this bit of a message. Well, before we need to do that, we need to say if you want to send feedback again, like we mentioned earlier, check out our blog, which is www.sinkintotheweird.com, where we'll be posting images from the Doctor Strange issue we discussed, issue 13. But also mm-hmm. send us an email to sinkintotheweird at gmail.com or on Twitter, you can engage with us at IntoWeirdBilly. You're at BillyD underscore Licious. I'm mm-hmm. at Dark Longbox. And we can connect that way. And please uh, send some feedback so that we can talk about it on the next show. Mm-hmm. But with that, thank you, listeners, once again. And thanks to our patrons on www.patreon.com forward slash into the weird for supporting our three additional shows there. We love you guys. And mm-hmm. have a Merry Christmas. Stay cool, stay weird. And remember, you don't need to uh, beg eternity for Christmas presents this year because <laughs> as we've seen, he will just refuse you. <laughs> or he will mm-hmm. break your presents and then recreate them, but they won't be quite the same. So just just <laughs> ignore him this Christmas. Focus on Santa. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> All right, classic. Stay weird, everybody. Cheerio. Bye.